0: No. Oh my God, it's Friday. <laughs> good. Good morning, beautiful people. It is Friday. Let me let me say something to Tennessee real quick. Welcome to Love Babs Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. Welcome. Let me, let me just say this. James Baldwin said it best. It is certain in any case that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. It is certain, in any case, that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. It is certain, in any case, that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. I don't don't know. You know, I, I just keep... I just keep being concerned about how the level of ignorance that people are willing to wade in the level of deliberate stupidity that people are willing to wade in. And Tennessee, you, you got my vote. You have my vote this morning. And if y'all don't know what's happening in Tennessee, what are you doing? Go and Google and see what's happening in Tennessee. I'm not going to tell you about it because it would just ruin my day um but uh it, it is it is it is a level of deliberate ignorance and intentional stupidity that I've ever I've ever seen they, they they won't do anything about gun control but they they will expel representatives from the floor because they protested killings in Tennessee you know, so I guess what they're saying is, we don't care if our children are killed. We're not going to do a damn thing about it. And if you speak about it, we're going to punish you. That's really what they're saying. So uh, we have a gun sickness in this country. And until we, what do they say? The first steps of addiction is to acknowledge that you have an addiction. America has not acknowledged its addiction to guns. It has not. And until it does, everything that anybody does is for not. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody with a gun have to walk up into places where legislation is done. I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what it'll take. And I certainly don't want to see that kind of thing happen. But guess what they have? They, they, no one gets into those spaces with guns, even with even with uh uh license. You can't get in spaces with guns but we we don't got no problems with people walking into malls and movie theaters and schools and wherever else these folks is killing folks, you know? Okay. We have a gun sickness in America and we are not doing anything about it. And please don't tell me, well, we're not enforcing the gun laws we already have. All right, that's that's part of it. All right. You know, I don't want to get bogged down in the in the argument about, you know, what we are not doing, what what we already have. Because we have a gun sickness in this country. And until we are ready to cure it, more people will die and more children will die. Because we we have said it's acceptable. Our actions said it is acceptable and you can't prove me wrong prove me wrong <laughs> how many children have we lost to gun violence it's the number one killer of children now
1: if, if if we've already seen
0: how we have put money behind cancer if if this was cancer killing children at this rate all hands on deck We'd be having bake sales and raising money for research and, and cure. But we won't do it for guns. And it's the number one killer of children. Number one killer of children. I don't, I don't even know how you can know this and, and, and not be outraged that in this country, that what is the number one killer of our children is guns.
1: Guns. What the hell? Guns.
0: Y'all crazy as hell if you think we're going to keep going down this road and not keep paying these higher prices for for this foolishness that we find ourselves in. All right. America has a gun sickness. And I'm a former gun owner, so I, listen, I've owned firearms. I know how to operate firearms. So I'm not, I'm not talking like I'm one of these people that's afraid of a firearm. I'm not. But we have a sickness. We have a real sickness. And, uh, and, and we, are, we are unwilling to cure it. We are unwilling. We are unwilling. We are unwilling. When something is the number one killer of children. And wait, we all say, children are our future. (laughs) Teach them well and let them lead the way. But they can't lead if they're
1: not here. They can't lead if they're dead. But it's the number one killer of children.
0: You know. And, and, And mass shootings is problematic but people leaving guns unsecured is problematic. It's, it's problematic. You know, we have firearms in our house. We had we had a giant safe in the basement. We had a safe in the, we had two safes in the bedroom, one safe for, uh, for ammunition and one safe for the firearm. So they would never be mixed. And they had very specific codes and hand things that you, you know, foot one it was it was my husband's uh, fingerprint so that the children would never have access. And they knew firearms were in the house. Uh, and, you know, my kids was lightheaded. They would try to get into all kinds of stuff. They couldn't get into the safe.
1: And we didn't leave stuff laying around. So, I, okay. I'm gonna leave this alone. Number one, killer of children. Number one. Number one. Number
0: one. D- damn anything else. worry about your kid being shot to death. that That's the worry. at's at school, even. <laughs> not not because we 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 are at war. Like we have civil war or something, or somebody's invading America, they're not dying because we are at war with anybody. We are at war with ourselves. Americans are at war with themselves because we got a gun sickness that we are not committed to remedying. We are not interested in remedying. Because these, these crazy, 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 crazy people get out and talk about who the government want to take my guns. Well, you know what? The government ought to take your damn guns because some of y'all are stupid with these guns. Ah, I don't know how people can tolerate knowing it's the number one killer of children. <laughs> Lord, Black Jesus. Why are we even, why are people, well, people were industries. That's why they got expelled out of their out of their, their, their legislative uh, halls in Tennessee. And Tennessee, God knows, you know what? With all the issues that y'all got with poverty and all the other things, and, and this is what your legislators do. And if y'all and that the people of Tennessee want these dummies in office, you need to get them out of office. And I hope that people start marching on these fools and get them out of office because they're not doing you no good. And they make you look hella stupid. So if you want to join the rest of these southern states is looking stupid, then, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Number one killer of children.
1: We have a gun sickness in this country. A gun
0: sickness. Ah, uh, You know what I need? I need all the divine nine to go and take uh, membership in the NRA and take it over, and make it a social justice uh, organization. Just go get membership in the NRA, take it over, and make it into a social justice. uh And yes, yeah, sure, they'll probably go start some other stuff, but it'll take some time. And by that time, we will already have taken over and changed the directory, the ch- the trajectory of the organization. Everybody who is in the who is a member of a a, a black Greek organization, a black club, uh, a Prince Hall Mason, uh, an Eastern Star, go and take membership in the NRA and let's take it over. Just freaking take it over. Everybody that got that whole membership in the NAACP, go and take over the NRA. And then we can, you know, turn into a social justice organization and undo this foolishness. That's what I would do. Just just, take, just just start taking over, state by state. Just take it over. They in trouble anyway. They got poor management, mismanagement of funds and resources. So they on the ropes anyway. So just let's just go take it over. Let's just go take it over and turn it into a social justice organization. And then we could, then we could make some inroads. Then we could really make some inroads. Then we could get these legislative bodies around this country to listen to people of good conscience and goodwill around gun control and gun safety. I'm not, this is just outrageous. Number one killer of children in these United States. We might as well just stop all the cancer research for children, just stop it. Just just stop treating kids for everything and just just let them wait to be shot to death. Just let them wait to be shot, listen. We don't need to spend no more money on childhood cancers or childhood diseases, close these children's hospitals, do all of that, and then just send them outside, send them to school, let them get killed and shot to death. What? You think I'm being ridiculous? <laughs> oh, you could find me ridiculous, but you can't find this current climate in this country ridiculous and abhorrent? Are you kidding me? Oh, but I'm I'm ridiculous for saying you know, shut out, shut down all the children's hospitals. We don't need them. Stop research right now on all childhood diseases and anything that affects children. And just let and just wait. Wait, let them and wait. Just sit them outside. Put put targets on their back. Just wait. Let them let them be killed. Just sit them out there in the streets. Go ahead. Because that's essentially what we're doing now. We're doing this anyway. <laughs> you know, if it's the number one killer of children, that's what we do it.
1: <sighs> All right. Okay. I'ma let it go. I mean, I'm not gonna let it go. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna.
0: It is certain in any case that ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice could have, James Baldwin. That's it right there. That's it. And wait, they got they had three people, <laughs> two brothers and a white woman, and guess who didn't get expelled? <laughs> and she called it. She's like, y'all know why I didn't get expelled? I'm a 60-year-old white woman. What they gonna do? They gonna expel the 28-year-old young black man. Because that's the future. And they don't like it. And it's running up against what they don't like. And you know, uh yesterday I got to spend some time with uh, the Reverend Dr. William Barber at the uh one of the dean's house yesterday for, you know, they host these Dean teas, but there ain't no tea there, but it's a lot of you know snacky snack stuff. You know, fruit laid out, water, spa water. It's pretty. But anyway, uh, it was a very intimate affair. You know, a bunch of students and other interested folks sitting in the room and listening to him uh, go on about the theology and public policy center that is that has launched at Yale and talking about why it's necessary um, to, to do this work, you know. And uh, somebody has to align us with the moral compass in this country, you know, to do this work moving forward. And I'm—I am for separation of, st- st- you know, uh, state and church. I, I am for that. Uh, but but I but I, I also know that people of conscience has to right these wrongs and can no longer sit back and just think your faith just directs you to be a church, that you have to get elected to office. And I'm not talking about these zealots, you know, these right-wingers zealots. I'm not talking about that foolishness. I'm talking about people with a serious moral compass that understands that it is not about what they believe, but what is in the best interest of the people that they serve. You know, like a Jimmy Carter. And not a a stupid ass Donald Trump who cares nothing about anyone or anybody, holds the record for the most bankrupted private citizen in the world, in the country. Not that fool, not him, and not his I don't know where she is wife. You know, the third one. Yeah, I'm making a judgment and I'm casting aspersion. Because we have fallen so, you know, I had no idea it was this many stupid people in America. I'm, I'm blown away by the level of deliberate ignorance of people in this country. I, I just never, I never thought it was that many. I swear to God, I didn't know it was that many people. I just thought everybody was equally smart <laughs> and well-read and well-traveled. Nope, nope, nope. People are just stupid. On a level that I and when I say stupid, I mean care nothing about their neighbors, care nothing about you know progress, cares nothing about truth, cares nothing about history, cares nothing about how to make things better. They only want to make things better for themselves. and and you know, I, but people will people people will get get their asses in church this this Sunday. And, and talk about he has risen. <laughs> who who is the he? <laughs> who is the he you think has risen and 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 what did he teach you by his example of living? <sighs> Lord have mercy, Black like Jesus. You know I'm just saying. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying I'm just you know, those of us who
1: want freedom cannot rest. Three honey in
0: a rock. Those of us who want freedom cannot rest. We cannot rest. Those of us who want freedom, we cannot rest. We come too far by faith. You know, it's just, but I, I honestly believe though we're coming to a head. This stuff has got to come to a head. It's gonna come to a head. Because people, you know, when, when I when I look at something like the, the poor people's campaign. And I listen to these stories of poor people and how, uh, you know, they don't have health insurance. These, st- these whole southern states that deny their people expansion of Medicaid and med- all the things because they still pissed off that there was a black president that served these United States. And so they would rather see their own people in the streets as beggars and and, 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 and sick. than than to provide health care for them. They would rather see women go back to back alleys with damn co hangers and, and questionable doctors. They would rather see that. If you would rather see that, then you are not fit. You are not fit to be a citizen of this country. You are just not fit. You are not fit. You are not fit, so. That we have allowed and allowed and allowed. You know, when it comes to killing the children, this that's I think that's the, the ain't that the ain't that the lowest level that you can get at? Right? Killing children? We that's we at the lowest level. At some point the history books are gonna record this moment. It's like, what the hell are these people thinking about that they allow the, the gun death by guns be the number one killer of children? <laughs> How, how are we living with that?
1: Why are we living with that?
0: All right. I don't know. Listen to Reverend Barber yesterday. It just it just provided me with the something that was missing in all of these conversations about what we need to think about and how we sort of frame uh, a a country moving forward with not 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 so much that you know there's one god no i'm not saying that either don't get me messed up i'm saying that if we are going to allow faith to drive us and and we're not um what we're doing is allowing something masquerading as faith you know because if y'all are holding 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 true to what Jesus was and what Jesus do you know Everybody wants to ask this because well, what would Jesus do? Well, let me tell you what Jesus did. See, we don't got to ask what he would do because we already know what he did. And so that sort of stands the test of time. Hey, you know what Jesus did? Let me, let me, let me get with the people who are less, less, who have less. Let me let me walk with the people who have less. Let me let me be with the people who have less. And let me let me let me tip some tables over in the churches because, or in the in the synagogues because, you know that ain't right. <laughs> We're doing something inherently wrong to our brothers and sisters, and it's got to stop. And folks didn't like it so much; they marched his ass to the cross. <laughs> marched him to the cross. So, where's what's our cross? Well, this is our cross at the moment the number one killer of children is gun violence.
1: That's our cross at the moment.
0: And uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to get to resurrection? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to get to the good news? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? That, that, that firearms means so much to everyday ordinary Americans that they're willing to sort of accept the fact that it is this
1: the number one killer of children, just saying. I'm just thinking, that's all.
0: So anyway, I'll be back around to this in a minute. Let me get myself in a better frame of mind for Friday. (laughs) Cause y'all hear me and you know, you know, you know where I'm going, you know, you know how I stand. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mince it for you. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it for you. You know, I'm not. So I'm not. This is where I stand. And you don't like it, you can turn me off. It's, this is free. This is free. <laughs> but, I, but I think some of y'all dig what I'm saying, because you, you tell me in the streets. You tell me and you and you and you raise your hand in solidarity. I see you. You come up to me all the time. Are you listening to me? There's a lot of people who listen to me, which freaks me out on a lot of levels, because I'm just thinking I'm talking to myself. But I, I I know that there there are folks who are listening to me. Listen, this ain't NPR. I I don't, I don't gotta. I listen. I'm gonna come with all the vernacular. I'm gonna come with the with the whole range of sound, of voice, and 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 volume. I, I'm not I'm not NPR. This ain't NPR. <laughs> No shade to NPR, I listen to NPR all the time in my car. That's how I get my news and information. Somebody's got to give us some decent news and truth telling. NPR is pretty much doing a damn good job. But this ain't NPR. This is, this is, this is, a, this is a mother of four children. This is a sister and an ex-wife and a daughter and, and a sorority girl and, and, and a person of community you know, and somebody who lives in a very marginalized ass neighborhood. I, I, listen, I, I don't, I'm not sitting somewhere waxing poetic because I'm removed. I'm right here in the heart of a community that is experiencing hardship and trauma and gun violence. Don't talk to me until you live where I live. Come live where I live. and Then talk to me about what you, what you won't do, what you going to do, you know. Listen, I live around the corner from my state senator. I live around the corner from my state rep. Listen, and they choose to live here because they could live on the other side. They can live on the other side of 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 uh, of, uh, 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 of things here because it's just a couple of blocks. They could they could each live somewhere else, but they don't. They live right here and raise their children here, so they have an invested interest in 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 what happens what happens in this community, as they are concerned about what happens in all the dist- dist- uh, the, all, the totality of the district that they represent. I know, I know my state rep. I know my state senator. I know them by name. I go to their house. I know how to get to their house. They've come to my house. I know my alder, because it's important. I'm not going to sit around talking about, oh, I don't like politics. Like, what does like have to do with any damn thing? Your community looks like trash. And you mean to tell me you're not invested in doing anything about that? That you're going to walk out your house every day, and act like you don't see? Oh, you people. We have to do better. We have to get more organized. And there's people out here organizing. There are people right now organizing. You know, Ms. Sykes is organizing, you know. The system that runs Harris Harris Tucker is organized. There's people out here organizing in these streets, have been organizing in these streets for a long time. Ain't new to it, but true to it. There's people out here. And we come from a long line of people who've been out here, out here in these streets. And everybody's got a part to play. And if you're not playing your part, first of all, the part starts with taking your ass to the polls and voting. And don't give me this mess. I like, I know, I like, I, this ain't American Idol. This is your life. This is not American Idol. You got, you got skin in this game because you live here. And you get to determine what happens here. We got a mayoral race right now. I don't like none of these damn candidates. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to vote in the best interest of in my community. I'm a vote in the best interest in my community. It don't have a damn thing to do with life. You know what I like? I like vegan pizza. All right. (laughs) What what does that got to do with anything? I don't need to like them. I need to vote what is in the best interest of my community and then hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. That's what needs to happen. I don't care about liking nobody. I'm not dating these people. (laughs) I need them to run this city. I need them to run this city with care, commitment, and courage. That's what I need. Care, commitment, and courage. (laughs) Oh, Lord, y'all done got me fired up this morning on a Friday. That's why I'm trying to go to law school, so I can argue like this in front of all kinds of people. It's just, just, you know what? Makes me want to holler the way they do my life. I'm I'm feeling Marvin Gaye. It makes me want to holler the way they do my life. You know, or you know, we got to sing some teddy Pendergrass. Wake up everybody. No more sleeping in bed, no more backwards thinking. Time for moving ahead because the world is changing so very much. Do you understand? We got to get and we gotta get these young people excited. You know, I, I you know, when I sit in these other spaces where people are so far removed from the city, so far. Removed, and then I and then when I get into my community and I see how people are trying to do the best that they can from the ground up, right? Just trying to survive, just trying to eke out a living, and trying to do it with a which which as much grace and as humanity as they can, you know. And everybody's trying to juggle. Hell, I'm juggling bills. I'm affected. I listen. There's no. I don't have no money. So I understand, I'm, I'm on this side, I'm on this side. So I know what it's like, I know what it's like to see people up against it and still try to live with a level of dignis, dignis, dignity and humanity. You know, now you walk into these people's homes and their homes are clean and well appointed because they're trying to live with a level of dignity. They're trying to, to, to live with, with, a, with a modicum of respect. And they're just getting grind down, grind down. We care about what's happening to our young people in this city. In all the cities. But I happen to live in this city. So we could collectively talk about all the cities. All the cities are under siege because they don't know what to do with young people. But we honestly, we do know what to do with young people. We just don't have the political will and, and, and not willing to put the resources behind what needs to happen from the floor down to take care of what needs to happen in community with young people. You know, we know what young people need. We know this there's, there's no secrets. They need caring adults, they need safe spaces, right? <laughs> safe, clean spaces. <laughs> they need they need to have access to an education system that celebrates them. Right? That's that's what we three. That's three of the five things that we say we kids need. And they need they need access to good food. Good, clean, healthy food, right? That's four. We know what kids need. We know, we know. And then we need, what's the other thing? We need to excite their imagination about having a stake in their community so that they could go out and say, you know what, this is my community. I want to rep it and I want to preserve it. I want to save it. I want to take care of it. We are not inspiring young people to do that. We are not doing that. What we're doing is, I wish they would pull their pants up. Oh, I wish they would comb their hair. This is why we, we do it. And so when, they're, when they show up angry because they're hungry, <laughs> when they show up angry because we're hungry, we don't look at them with respect. We don't. We don't. We, we spend so much time reminding poor people that they're poor that we forget that they are our brothers and sisters. We spend so much time reminding people that they are less. Less. That's what we do. We spend a lot of time doing that. We, do a, we spend a lot of time doing it. You know, you know, so, so, so we want to open food banks and pantries. We're going to take pictures of people. We doing good. We doing good. Stop it. Just do the good. Don't take the pictures of it. Take pictures of you having a good time at the club. Don't take pictures of people at food banks and food pantries and all that kind of stuff. And don't take pictures of you showing you out there at the food bank and the food pantry like that's some, like doing some ish. Y'all need to stop it. Performing social justice not doing social justice. No, I'm talking ish this morning because I got receipts. And I want people to know I, I'm speaking truth to power from where I sit, where you sit, what table you at? What table are you at? And if you're at a table and you look around ain't none of us at the table, are you really at a table? Are you in a are you in a club? I mean club meaning, you know, just you know homogeneous. <laughs> I tell people all the time, you serve on these damn boards, you look around, you don't see no people but your people, you got a problem. You got real problems and you are part of the problem. So the next time you're at a board meeting, look around see who's at the table with you. And I don't mean just like one Negro or two. How many people sitting at your table? And and who and are you listening to the people at the table? The two Negroes you got at the table, are you listening to them, or are you just like the fact that, oh, look, we got two Negroes at the table. We got some black people. Oh, I know some black people. I was at the symphony the other week with my friend Ife. and this little white man gonna say to her, "Your hair is so beautiful. Can I touch it?" Now I'm I could feel myself ready to knock the ish out of him. And then he gets indignant because she says no. <laughs> and he's like, but it's so beautiful and you're an asshole. What? <laughs> so I say to him, I said, you know, she's not a pet.
1: He's like, oh, I didn't think she was. I said, yes, you did. The fact
0: that you want to touch her hair like she's a pet. So he gets indignant right he gets a little his wife is trying to check him like stop it you know honey you know and then he goes on to say well when I was in college my black friend (laughs) why do white people always got that one black ass friend that that they were they they got that one black ass friend and maybe a Lou Rawls album (laughs) I swear to god (laughs) and a Lou Rawls album a black friend in a Lou Rawls album. I get that mess all the time. And I'm thinking, how sad for you. <laughs> and Ife just was like, she just blew it off. But I couldn't blow it off because it incensed me so. She blew it off. She was like, I'm not going to give no energy to that. And right. And that's why I was there. Because I can give energy to it. And smack your ass to the ground. I was like, listen. So he's like, oh, we well, go in peace. Brother, white man, we already peaceful. You don't want to not peaceful because you want to touch our hair, her hair, because you feel like you were entitled to touch her hair. You don't get up out of my face. I am t- I done said this already. White folks, leave black women's hair alone because we're going we gonna to turn around and smack the crap out of you and then st- sue you for assault i'm just telling i'm telling you now i i had the same experience i'm at i'm at the the schubert theater gala last last summer and and the white woman want to touch my because my hair is purple so she want to go put her she's attempts to put her hands on my head i put my hand up and i was about to jack slap her and her the black coworker with her was like see we just came out of a training about this very thing. And she goes, Oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God. You're right. Oh my God. She's and then she starts to apologize to me profusely. Oh my God. I'm oh my God. I said, you know why you did you know why you thought you could do it? Because you don't see me as your equal. And, and by equal, I mean as human. You see me, you treat me like you treat people that's walking dogs on the street. You ever see people who, who walk their dogs on the street and other dog people go up and put their hands all on the dog and oh, 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 all that kind of mess. That's how that's how it feels when you do that stuff to black people. Like we are pets or something. And, she, and, I, and I was deliberate in trying to shame her. I wasn't letting up. I was like, cause you didn't see me as human. You saw me as a pet, like I was a dog on the street and you just like, oh, I want to touch that dog oh my god oh my god and then she starts to cry i'm like if i don't give here's a napkin because i don't give a damn about your tears stop touching black women because you feel some kind of way or you feel entitled stop it you see i got a lot of i got a lot of stuff to say <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <sighs> yes if other outside of prospect. I got, I got a lot to say because I've just had it with people. I've just had enough. I've just, I've just, I've just had enough. And I cannot be in spaces with, with that, you know, and here's the thing. When you, when you hit 60, all bets are off. I'm I'm not climbing. I'm not trying to get somewhere. I'm not trying to get anywhere. Uh, I, the ambition is not to get anywhere. It's just not. I, I'm where I'm at and I'm happy where I'm at. So, you know, but we got a lot of young people out there who need an opportunity to get to 60. You know, we we need we need to we need to give kids opportunity to get to 60. <laughs> and if the number one if the number one cause of death for children is guns, then we need to remove guns. <laughs> Listen, if the number one killer of kids was brain cancer, guess what we'd be doing? We'd be working on eradicating brain cancer that's logical <laughs> that's what we would, that's what we we would be doing if, if the number one killer of kids was polio and once upon a time it was guess what we did we eradicated polio I mean, nobody argued about oh i think i want i want to keep polio around i don't want to you know i mean there were people who probably didn't want to vaccine their children you know listen there's there's going to be opposition to people up there's going to be people who are in opposition to all the things but that can't that can't move us because <laughs> guess what we all got vaccinated for polio and guess what we don't have polio well now it's sort of making its way back around because people don't want to vaccinate their children which is the most ridiculous thing how could you how, how could you have a child love a child and then don't want the best for that child and please spare me this whole oh i have a right i have a right yeah but you don't have a right to harm your child and you don't have a right to harm other people okay Woo! <laughs> i got a lot to say this but you see how it all it is all it is all connected it's all connected you could you could make the threads work all the things you know we we can make the threads work all the things you know i i, I saw a I saw uh, something on Facebook where they're making um, bulletproof classrooms and walls that collapse on onto each other so that if somebody comes into a school wanting to kill up folks, they can insulate themselves in a bulletproof classroom.
1: We would rather do that. than to just take guns out of people's hands. We would rather do that.
0: That's the thinking, you know, and they were like, oh, we got to protect the kids. (laughs) Okay, why don't we just take the guns out of people's hands? (laughs) They can't shoot them if there's no guns. Just saying, but we have a gun sickness. We have a gun sickness and uh, America has been unwell, I don't know, for about 400 years. We, we we've been unwell for far any any time people can go to a whole other continent and steal people and bring them back strip them of their culture their language their religion and everything that they know and force them to be workers And that says a lot already. That gives you a sense of what we've been up against for four hundred years, fighting inch by inch to sort of get free. and And now that our blood is so much a part of the soil, we can't go back. we can we can go to Africa and 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 make uh, threads and 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 make a connection. But we are we are we are in this soil here generation 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 in this soil so we have some stake in this country now we have some real stake in this country and uh the fight goes on
1: <laughs> we have a gun sickness
0: in this country and uh and and it and it wraps itself around so many of the issues. Um, it it is, really is a hindrance to the pursuit of happiness. You know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. It, it really is a, a, a detriment to that. It's a detriment. And people's fear and self-loathing are greater than their, their reach for humanity. That's what it is. You know, and so we've got to get to a place, uh, and and I think this is why the the theology center and the public policy center is is going to help train up uh, the next level of freedom fighters, um, because you know they've always come out of a a Christian and and a, well an Abrahamic place, you know whether they were. Uh, Christians, uh, Jewish, um, Muslim, um, coming out of an Abrahamic place, and and so why not why not build upon that? Why not build upon that um, so that people um, could get some tools to be out there in their communities to do this work with with a righteousness that we have not seen in a very long time, in a moral compass, and that's not trying to be a, an evangelical or any of that. Some of the best people I know uh, don't lead with um, quote, beating you over the head with scripture, but they use scripture as a way to sort of enhance the love that they have for humanity, not, not as a weapon, not as a tool to make you feel less than, not that. So uh, I, 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 while I am sorely, disheartened by what i saw in tennessee what i'm seeing with women's reproductive health what i'm seeing with people being kicked off medicaid what i'm seeing uh, uh you know they're taking issue with <laughs> providing um uh, uh breakfast in schools <laughs> they oh yeah they they there there are people who want to talk about let's take away breakfast from schools because i, I <laughs> <sighs> Uh, You know, we've got, we need a moral writing, a moral shift. Uh, We need, we need a, we need people of commitment and courage and compassion and connection and community. Like we need, we need people to come back to that, you know, level headedness and 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 resolute uh, uh, we need that you know we we need to um rethink how we deal with young people um we need to reimagine policing and public safety i'm i'm at i'm i'm going to be at wesleyan next week talking about policing and uh, reimagining public safety and uh the good kalila uh, Brown Dean is going to be uh, facilitating conversations, and uh, and and me and the sister philanthropists from Stanford, we're going to um, do the town hall conversation at the end of the day. So uh, there's a lot to be done, and and there's a lot of people on the ground who are who are trying to sort of change the landscape. And you know what? The changing of the landscape is simply. Uh, a, a, a lot of ways there's no one way to do this there's a lot of ways there is opening a bookstore in, in a neighborhood where people are like why do you want to open a bookstore in that neighborhood why not you know there is that how you fight back is hey this city doesn't have a lit fest and it, and you know we need to be able to bring black authors and folks to this community because we think that might be a good thing <laughs> You know, we, we love to entertain people, you know we love to bring musicians and all that. Yeah, I love it too. But let's bring a lit fest and and let's, and let's show people, you know what, um, that, they, that they, can, they can be a part of, of, of the graphic novel culture because it's rooted in blackness already. but y'all, we need to show it to people, right? We need to bring it to people. So you bring a diaspora con because you want people to know, listen, we have roots in this thing. We, we have real roots in this. <laughs> We're not, we not just, you know, interlopers. We are people who, who have, 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 have committed, have been doing this for some time. So you bring a diaspora con so that people could sort of, so that you can bring out all the black nerds, right? All the black nerds, all the nerds of color could come out because now they got a place where they can convene that is about them, for them, by them right? So now they could come and be like, be all nerdy and Black power ungawa all together. It's all together. And then white folks can come too, because they're like, they might be like, I don't know what a Black nerd looks like. Let me go. And let me check it out. Let me see what I, let me see what I can see. Oh, I had no idea that was by Black people. Well, now you know. <laughs> see what I'm saying? So there's ways to sort of disrupt all the ills that are going on, but we but we have to sort of be disrupting and 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 you know we, we need people on 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 getting out getting the vote out. Dory Dumas and the NAACP, man, they do a damn good job with the resources they have talking to people about let me get you registered, let me get you to the polls. That's still important. It's still very important. We need to be working right now on getting people educated to get their vote. We need to be doing this door to door. We need an army of folks, and I don't like to use the word army. We need a community of folks to go door to door like and just keep doing it. Listen, I want you to get out there and vote. I know you feel some kind of way about this system, and you feel you feel so far away and so far removed from this system we call democracy. But if you if you just take this effort to go vote, then you would be exercising the right. For you, your ancestors, and your kids in front of you. You know, we we gotta start doing that kind of thing, right? We have to, we have to, we have to just knock on the doors and, and not at election time. We got it pre-election time. <laughs> you know, and we need to make money available for people to canvas to do just that thing. So that when people see them in community, they're like, oh, here comes that, here comes Miss Ivy talking about voting. You know, so that they recognize that when they see people in community, it's about voting, and then they and then this is what'll happen. Oh, I'm gonna go vote because God knows she doesn't. I don't want to see have to see her in the street now, and, and then I have to give her some excuse why I didn't vote. <laughs> right? That's how we have to do this. You know, we have to we have to empower young people to 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 vote and to take over this mantle. So that we can go and sit on our porches and, and cheer the babies on. Because some of us are, we've been in this storm so long. But well, we got to turn it over. And uh, you know, and we and we know how to turn it over. And we've got skills. We just have to give it to the young people. Give them what we already know, you know, so that the so that it can continue on, so they can pick up the mantle, so that they don't have to see their peers shot in the streets anymore. And then they have a power and a tool to do something about it, you know, but they they have power to pick a a better mayor, one one that is kind and generous, committed, courageous and competent. (laughs) You know, that's what I'm saying. So I'm just, listen, I said a mighty word today because I feel it. I just, yeah, Uh, right. And let's not talk about teachers. Teachers, let me tell you something. Teachers are under siege right now. They are hated and revered all at the same time. We know we need teachers and then we treat them like we don't. <laughs> and then we want to bark at them for, um, for, for asking for money to be compensated for all the work they do. But nobody got no lips out about Beyonce tickets. Nobody got no lips out about Super Bowl tickets. You happily, gladly pay that. Listen, your town says we need a new stadium. Guess what happens? Guess what? Guess how they pay for new stadiums? They don't take up a collection, they don't pass the plate. You know what they do? They they come to city councils all across this country and make the case for why this will be in the best interest of this municipality and what kind of jobs this will bring and the economic whatever. <laughs> And then and then you then we we sell bonds, we anti up stuff, and boom, voila, We get a, a seven hundred million billion stadium built, not here in New Haven because we don't have a professional team. But I dare say that's how it works in other cities. You know. So, you know, this this mess that Yale and the city has concocted to create some kind of economic outreach thing, whatever. <laughs> that's just a new way of encroachment <laughs> if i'm yell i w- listen if i could get away with it i would i guess if i'm yell i'm like ooh, let me t- let's put this on the table <laughs> and I was like, oh they went for it oh <laughs> all right i'll be back <laughs> i'll be back with titus kafar and uh Dwayne betts we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about their new book, uh, Redaction, which is I'm telling you, this book does not photograph well, but.
2: I'll see baby, you. Baby.
0: <laughs> Hi, this is Babs dahl Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM streaming live at newhavennewscenter.org.
2: to please me I'm satisfied if you are so don't you dare release me girls you got to be blind not to draw the line be confident at all times if you relax to the max things will be just fine
3: like this. I took the tag off of major prices. I just spent a half a meal on a chandelier. Now you try coming you cut me off like a light switch. Trying to stay in I leave. Saying that you need some time to breathe. Thinking that I'm sleeping on the four-letter word, but the four-letter word don't sleep. We going to separate ways. You ain't been acting the same. Well, where your heart used to be, you go dig every day. I spent the four-yard till the 2 cause I can't let my driver hear what you say. Can I try to get you space? Baby,
0: FN streaming live at newhavenindependent.org
4: your chance kid accept responsibility aboard resentment actions always take root from what you think about things that go your way ain't it hard to figure out why oh why ask why ain't gotta tell you it's right in front of your eyes so in following these principles you find along the road you're the only one responsible for your soul uh, it's no coincidence Take control of your life, no coincidence, uh, it's no coincidence, Uh, you take control, no coincidence, uh,
3: it's no coincidence, uh, yeah, it's no coincidence, uh, uh, it's no coincidence, uh, uh, nah, it's no coincidence. Old shells are highly prized. And this one is occupied by a sarcastic fringe.
0: Welcome back to the second hour of Love, Babs, Love, Talk. I'm delighted. I got two brothers in the space today. We're going to talk about their beautiful book that they put out. I have uh, Reginald Dwayne Betts, poet, and Titus Kafar, artist, painter. Good morning, y'all.
5: What's up? Why are you saying my name like you don't know my name? How many times have you said my name? Titus Titus. Kafar.
4: What? What? Titus.
0: Titus. (laughs) (laughs) Kaphar. What's
4: up, babs? Yo, what's happening? What's going on? It's a pleasure.
0: This Titus Kafar. How are y'all?
5: <laughs> Good to hear you. Good to see you.
0: It's nice to see y'all. So this book, which is beautiful, thank you to Kyle for sending it to me. Um, this came out of your 2019 exhibit that y'all did for MoMA PS1, uh called of the same name. And uh, and so the book is uh just I guess an extension of that exhibit. So how did y'all come to collaborate on the exhibit and then talk about the process to get it to become a book?
5: Well, I'll say, uh, this is Titus. I'll say that, um, uh, this book, we see it as an exhibition in itself. Um, I'll let Dwayne talk about that in a little bit, but, uh, how we started this whole thing. I got a, I got a residency in Maine and, uh, got up to Maine and was like, man, Ain't no black people. <laughs> I knew you would see that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I called Dwayne and he brought up his family. And um, we- So you just brought just,
0: you some black people up? <laughs>
5: yeah, yeah, we transported them, immigrated to Maine. And uh, we set up uh, the university art department as our studio. And we just started experimenting. We had uh, this young kid, Isaac, who uh was supporting us at the time i was trying to make paintings but i just wasn't vibing on the space it didn't feel like my space Mm -hmm. and isaac said uh why don't you come and try to make some prints and so i went in there and started making some etchings and then they had a letterpress old school letterpress machine and Dwayne just started making poetry and just like placing words
4: which you know which is wild because to actually one of the like letterpress like the people who do letterpress it is always inventive because when you're trying to lay the type, even if you were laying the type for this, well, you know how we were like making up ways to like block it in. Yep. They always make up ways to block it in. I mean, they have tools as well. But if you go to a a, a legit printmaker and you look at them laying type, you'll find that they become really adept at using um, whatever is around. It's so it always interesting because it was a way to um, collaborate on art, but collaborate on it in a way in which our sort of discovery ended up mapping onto. To the natural processes, even with the the mistakes inherent to printmaking being a part of what makes each in,
5: each print its own individual thing, and it turned the text into like art in itself. Yeah, like rather than just a way of reproducing words, like the text when it placed on the page with this impression that's made from yeah. from the letter itself, it becomes art, which was kind of special and fun for us.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so I know what redaction means in the prison world. <laughs> and I know what redaction means in the military world. Um, so this seems like it, it, it speaks to more of, of what happens to folks when they get letters from loved ones or they hmm. get uh, documents from places uh, that, uh, that is blocked out or whatever. So talk a little bit about that and, and, and why that's important. I want to
4: make sure so I'll talk about that and I want to make sure we we say why this is like an exhibit in itself, a lot of times you you think about a book and you think about the book as. As a book as a physical book, but this book we think about it as a as an art object and and it's a lot of thoughtfulness that went into like every layer of the design and when we say it's the third exhibit of redaction what we say is that typically um, our people don't always get a chance to go into a museum. You have an exhibit that's up for a month, for two months. And unless you have serious resources, if you lived in California, you didn't see our exhibit exhibiting moment. When you hold this, we want you to know that you're not just holding a book, you're holding something that had the same thoughtfulness that went into this entire process. Three, four different kinds of paper, um, really astute design giving you extra layers so that you can see intimately how we build the, the individual prints. And then you also have a, a, this sort of cohesive narrative that runs through it and that narrative is: What does it mean to be a black man in America? That's engaging with history, that's engaging with the law, but that's really deeply invested in family. And a lot of people think this is a, a criminal justice book. It's like, nah, nah. This is a book about what it means to be alive in the world today. And mm-hmm. in terms of redaction, um, part of the struggle with trying to work with with Titus specifically is like, you know, any visual artist. If if you're a writer working with them, you gotta struggle with whether or not your writing just becomes a substrate for that art. Uh, but Titus in particular, because he he his work is so evocative of like history. It's these layers within the work that even I, I I don't think we ever really thought about working together until that moment came. And what sealed the deal though, um, was less the the was what we figured out on the last day actually. We spent the whole week there and we had got hip to the laying of the of the poems then with, with, with letterpress but then I read that poem at the dinner I read the redaction mm. piece and he was like yo and
5: mm. then we started looking forgot, at I it about
4: that. yeah <laughs> and thinking like you know because the redacted the redacted poems had this visual element that allowed a conversation to be had between the etchings and the redaction pieces um because I think we both use redaction in the same way yeah. um more to reveal than to conceal for mm. for me um, in these poems, redacting lawsuits was about turning the sort of legal complaint into something that spoke to the desires uh, of the folks who were who were saying, "You cannot lock me up because I can't pay bail. You cannot lock me up because I owe fifteen hundred dollars worth of traffic tickets." And a lot of times, that story gets buried into the sort of minutia of of the particular legal principle that is controlling a court ruling.
5: I think the other thing for me in terms of redaction is it is a tool that is generally specific for text, but what it actually is in my mind as a painter, it's a brush mark. And so the way we dealt with it was as a visual brush mark, that's the physical representation of it. So having that brush mark coming from Dwayne dealing with the text and then putting the images on top of each other um, turned it. So there was this cohesiveness between each thing we did, like he said, it wasn't like because it is difficult to do an artwork where the, the painting doesn't become the focus or the text doesn't become the focus. We wanted to do one where it was like it was balanced. And the redaction as a technique, I think, really helped us pull that off.
0: And, and this book uh, physically is very interesting. Um, it's a hard book, but not a hard book. It's, it's movable and sturdy at the same time. Um, it doesn't photograph well, but when you pick it up, it's quite beautiful and it's in the way that you see Oh, it. wait, wait, wait. It photographs well.
3: Hey, <laughs> it Let me tell it you something. Well. It,
0: what
3: it what kind of camera are photograp-
0: you using? It doesn't,
4: it doesn't photograph on uses. your Samsung well. but like On my oh. iPhone, it looks amazing. <laughs> I've had so many people say, people
0: yeah. were like, this book is a little hard to photograph and <laughs> I'm looking for pictures and y'all sent pictures and all this other kind of stuff. <laughs> but it, uh, th- any picture that you take of it, does not capture uh, the same beauty when you actually physically pick this book up. like it is stunning in its own way, right? When you pick it up, it's like a ball gown. I mean, it's it's got shimmer, it's got texture. it's it's quite beautiful looking I mean that's
5: that's what we're saying. like this is not just a book. you know if you if you've seen one of my paintings in real life, then you're gonna know that. The reproduction you see on screen almost has nothing to do with the object that you stand in front of it's a different thing. Uh, The 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 reproductions are a way of communicating the the bigger what this is about that kind of a thing, but in terms of the experience the emotional psychological spiritual experience of being in front of a piece of art that can't happen until you have it in your hands. So, every aspect of it, we thought about. You said, you said, for example, it's not a hardcover. Well, we knew that if we put a hardcover book, we couldn't put this book um, in prisons, and as you know, Dwayne is doing major work on, on that front. Uh, we knew that we wanted these pages, the individual pages in the book, to be able to be removed, to be cut out precisely and hung up as art. We didn't print things on the back side of that section of art so that you can actually remove those pages, and if you see me or Duane on the street, we will sign those pages for you. We you know we're sure. not
0: tearing up a hundred dollar book. You know we're not.
3: on. <laughs> oh, but this is
0: the thing. No, no, but this this is the thing. though. And I'm a, I'm a Babs. Look, this is
4: I tell people this all the time. You need to get two books. And the reason why you get two books <laughs> all is right. Babs.
5: Babs is laughing. You got to give it
4: like, perspective, though, because think about it. If 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 you you say I'm not tearing up a hundred dollar book, but you say this, you go into a you go into a you go into the Yale art gallery and you stand in front of Titus's work, and this is a whole experience, and you know that you can't take that home with you. Now, first, we made this so it is actually a whole experience. It is the art. Now, you deconstruct this. You take one page out. You take 10 pages out, and you frame them, and you give it to your family, and all of a sudden, they got a piece of this living on their walls. So when people come to their houses, you hear a conversation, and they say, where did this come from? And then you pull out the book. So you shouldn't think about it as like a $100 book. You should think about it as an opportunity to gift 30 40 prints, frame prints to friends who never will probably even contemplate, unless your folks got money, money, contemplate owning art like this when you walk into the moment and see it. Mm. This really is, you know, Titus, I mean, you talked about it a lot even before we did the project. Like, what does it mean to produce art? What does it mean when your success further distances you from the community? Mm. So when people say that this is a hundred dollar book, I remind them that a bottle of whiskey costs hundred dollars.
0: Oh, and I'm they- not
4: complaining about. No, I, no, I, but I him, no, but I tell them, no, but I tell know what him, you
0: mean, yes. Get it.
4: I tell them, yeah. it's a hundred dollar book. Yes, but a bottle of whiskey is a hundred dollars. And the same way that you share that bottle of whiskey with people you love and the value of that bottle, like exponentially multiplies by getting two copies of the book, you keep wanting a cut. And that's like your 18 year <laughs> McAllen. And then you get the second copy and you deconstruct it. And that's like when you bring your friends over and you take out the Johnny Walker.
5: <laughs> Uh, I right, prefer right. bourbon myself. <laughs> but, You know, <laughs>
0: I'm with you. I I'll, I'll drink a bourbon. I mean, I'll drink whiskey. So there you go. What,
5: what Dwayne is trying to say, uh, I mean, we talked about <laughs> we talked this about this a lot. And Babs, you've been to Next Haven. You know, you know what we're about over there. The kind of work we're trying to do in New in New Haven. I got to a certain point in my career where the more successful I got, the less I felt like I had access to my folks, to my people. And when I did an exhibition, you know, in MoMA, the Metropolitan, wherever I'm doing a thing, I'm seeing less of us there. I'm seeing less folks who look like the people in the paintings that I actually make. And so we started talking from the beginning, all right, how do we bring access to the community that we live in? How do we bring access to the people that we care about? We're, we are not telling this, this story from a kind of distant place. These are stories about folks we know. These are stories about family members, cousins, uncles, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces. This is, as he said, family. This is, people sometimes they look at this book, as you said, and it really becomes Um, This is a book about the criminal justice system and of course that stuff is in there. But sometimes that expression is so big, that idea is so big, we forget the individuals who are daily regularly impacted by the result of that system. So we're saying, let's look at those individuals. So if you, if, and I think he should do it, if Dwayne reads you a poem from any page in this book, you realize the individuality that's represented from this story.
0: I think you should read a poem from this, from this book. Um, so talk to me about, are you going to read a poem, Dwayne? Yeah. Think? Yeah.
4: I just randomly flipped to a page and i will stop and read it. Um, okay. 38 and, and one of the ways you should know in, in terms of the black pages and nobody ever prints on black paper.
2: So mm. that was one
4: of the things that we did was a rarity and we created our own two different colors for this. So the silver is a color that's specially created for this book. And then the bluish, Hence tent that the lettering is in and the etchings are in, it's also something specially created for this book. And again, it's only an image on one side of the page. But the these poems were constructed so that each page is his own poem. So that even though it operates within a sequence, if you take it out and print it and frame it and give it to somebody else, it has its own beginning, middle, ending. It's like a, a version of a kind of um haiku, even though it's it's not a haiku. Thirty-eight-year-old father lives with His children went to police after he learned he had warrants, traffic tickets, arrested, placed in jail, kept overnight. He owed the city $1,600. The judge ordered him jailed, told, released if he served 23 days, told he could work off. His debt, did not want to clean blood and feces. Desperate, agreed to clean blood and feces from the jail floors, lost his job while he sat in jail.
0: Thank you. So as a, as a poet and, 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 and Titus as an artist, and you all come together, uh, what do you what do you think this this relationship this conjures up for folks who are um, who 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 are from our community who maybe not have had this experience of seeing two black men come together to create art? What what do you think that imagery is like? And 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 do you feel like it's being received well?
5: I mean, it's really about our friendship. I mean, we 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 connected in a way cuz we're fathers and our kids connect. You know, our kids are playing chess together, going to the same school, playing basketball together. Like for us, all of this is about the relationship. And the reality is people don't often see that. Like when images of us as black men are in the world, us as fathers is not often the thing that we see. Us as artists is not often the thing that we see. Us not in conflict, but in collaboration with one another is not often the thing that we see. So I don't think it's rare. (laughs) I don't think it's odd. I think that people choose to tell a story about what a Black man's reality is, and those people are not often Black men. Those people are not often Black folks in general. Um, So our projects, our, our collaborative project and our individual projects, are really about storytelling, telling the stories of us, from us, by us. Um, and I think that this, this has been really reflective of that. In terms of acceptance, I'll let you answer that.
4: And, I mean, and also, so the interesting thing is in terms of acceptance, I, I do think one of the questions is this, where we get to tell the story. Because people, I mean, we both happen to be um, engaging. Um, we both happen to be, I think, thoughtful. Um, Titus is charming. I do my thing sometimes you know um so like personally how people accept this has always been great but but I, I do think what under undergirds that question of yours right is what does it mean to be able to be in conversation with you on this platform mm-hmm. what does it mean to be on good morning America with Michael strahan right what does it mean to be um, in these spaces where where these other institutions that have access and reach to more people within the community are listening to us uh, I, I think that we have been, um accepted with open arms from all of the different diverse communities across the country partly because our work has led to that anyway but i think that there's levels to it that we haven't been able to get at and one of the reasons is that we aren't always the places where i think we should be the most Hmm. so we're not on the radio stations that i grew up listening to i mean the whole trajectory of my life might have been different if if i knew about the the black artist who was making work in 1996 Hmm. In 1995 they existed, but I was listening to certain radio stations that were dominant in my community and those folks weren't being brought on for a 15 minute spot. You know, the other part of this that we never really talk about is the fact that we both came from Community college and ended up getting, doing our graduate work at Yale. And it's not that we put Yale on this kind of pedestal, but it's that I remember having one of my classmates tell me because I was saying we should do work at the local at gateway the local Community college. And I had a classmate say, well, why should we do that? Why should we go there? I mean, it's not like somebody from community college is going to end up here. And I was like, well, you, well, you know, I went, to, I went to community college. I'm prison too, by the way. <laughs> and, so, and so I think that, that you know, the overwhelming acceptance partly comes from, from the fact that people desire to hear a story that they recognize. Mm-hmm. Not a story that they haven't seen before, um, mm-hmm. but a story that they recognize and haven't seen uh, enough of.
0: Mm. i what I'm struck by is um I want you to tell me how did you choose what you chose for this particular book? I, I know the legal aspect of the language, but but how did you ch- how did you design this book and how did you work on figuring out, oh, I think this ought to be in it, or maybe this shouldn't be in it, or or you know what, I kind of like this, or maybe I don't like that. How did y'all I- do that?
4: artistically, you should break down the separations, yeah. just because I think, I think we were invested in, um, in making it an art object, which necessitated yeah. doing something that we hadn't done in MoMA, yeah. and something that would be unique and artistically unique to this. So
5: I think the, the, the redaction part that's in the book is the stuff that folks know very well, that is the collaboration between us with the images on top and then the poems on top. But if you go through the rest of the book, there mm-hmm. are other images and other poems. And so we sat down and looked at our work. I would give Dwayne images and I would be like, this is a piece I want to put in the book. Like, I want you to either write something for this piece, or if you have something that speaks to this piece, um, let's put it together. So you have you have images of my paintings on one side and then poems of Dwayne's on the other side. And in that section, those poems are not are not redacted. Um, So we were we are are deeply involved in every single aspect of the production of this book um we selected the images we have great 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 designers and they just understood from the beginning that we were just going to be deeply involved more than most people are involved with the production of a book but we also we also put our own money up to make sure this book could be produced so we put a lot of capital of our own cash outside of norton into this book to be able to get it at the price point that it is this should actually be a significantly more expensive book Mm. and when we realized it was topping out at that point and the publishers were like well maybe if you don't do this and maybe if you don't do that and maybe if you don't do that and we started to feel like wait 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 you're messing with the art now we can't do that we said all right we'll put our own money up front so that we can make sure this book can come out and it is still it's still accessible. So yes, everything from the way the page, the impression on the, on the cover, the fact that things are not printed on both on both sides, the fact that there are no numbers on the bottom of the pages. So when you when you cut them out, you can put them up on the wall as, as we've talked about before. Um, the fact that we have multiple sections in here where the artwork is printed at a very high quality, and then the poems are beside it. It's a it's a com- it's a complete experience. It's not just is not just a book. Um, and I don't say that to diminish books. I'm sitting here with the writer. I'm saying this is a different, this is a different thing. I'd actually really like Dwayne to read one poem from from that other from the other section, if we do have have time. Oh, you
0: have time. Go ahead. All
5: right, and and um let Maybe me the, see. Um the Michael what was the one? The Oh Michael the Michael K. Williams yeah. joint. I love that one.
4: Yeah, I read this one. And what's interesting about about I think even about this poem is that um this was the last poem in the book. We were finished. I had forgot I wrote this poem. And you know, Michael K. Williams had passed and I had wrote, mm-hmm. um, I had wrote a, um, a piece about him for the New York Times uh, Magazine. And, and I had struggled with writing the piece partly because it was just this tension about, you know should I name in a piece the fact that he overdosed? And I was like, I'm not writing that he overdosed. I was like, this is a question about how do we think about the lives of black men when we're writing about the lives of black men, not about the deaths of black men. And so I, I pushed back against um, some of my editors and they ended up letting me rock with it. Then we would finish this, we would like finish, finish. And I found this poem in my phone. Um, I had wrote it on my birthday and and I wrote it the night of my birthday November 5th. So I wrote it before he passed because um, I had just discovered that viral video of him dancing and I hadn't known that he was a dancer. And it made me think about the layers, like we all have layers, right? And a lot of times our layers don't get revealed, and a lot of times people think that some of our layers are in conflict. So this poem was written on the night of my um forty second birthday or something, and um and it's a it's, it's riffing off of that video, and it ended up being the last um, poem to be included in the book. This brother is dancing in the city, his bald head the only son some of us will see on this winter day. His body draped in the colors of heaven. And each limb living in every burrow at once. How I've wanted to be free. When I tell my son about this brother and how a scar from his forehead to his lip was not nearly the most interesting thing about him, I think of his feet and wonder how to be that kind of honest, inventing within a moment everything that matters. I want to be somebody's child again and young enough to stand before a mirror until my body memorizes moves i believe may save me maybe nothing saves us save being witness to someone else moving so free
0: thank you i i I think you just made a wonderful point uh duane about that's what i do black men living (laughs) I, i that was such a profound point about because I know they probably, the Times wanted you to write about his death, probably in some fashion, but you did it. And that's pretty profound because I don't think Black men ever get that kind of license or agency to sort of talk about how, no. how we live, unless it's under duress and, and, you know, trauma.
5: I think, I mean, I, that's why I love that poem. That's like one of my, one of my favorite poems of Dwayne's. And we've worked together on a lot, but that that poem is, is incredibly, incredibly powerful. But I think going back to what he was saying about really being on the show, um, this is an opportunity for those conversations to be opened up for folks to see and hear the kinds of things that you don't see and hear. The reality is, like Dwayne said, when we were growing up there were black artists male and female artists that were out there doing good work doing amazing things but in the circles that we ran in they weren't being brought to our attention so even as we started working on on this book we um we remembered the sweet fly paper of life which is a collaboration between langston hughes and um uh Ray, Ray. uh de Carva, yeah. roy de Carva, um a poet uh and a photographer uh came together to do something incredibly beautiful and so we once we we got in a little bit we was like oh let's let's look at that book in other words like a generation multiple generations before two brothers already did this right they already had this conversation they already brought it together and we're doing it specifically for our generation, this moment, this time. So we stand in a legacy. We stand um, in the shoes of people who obviously came before us. We're doing something that is unique, um, but it's built on the past.
0: So does this open the door for further collaboration? Is there, is there a redaction too or something? Angolatto, I looked
4: at the painting. I was looking at the stuff and then I was like, <laughs> man we should have put that in there and but it, it was it wasn't done yet though um i also think though i mean redaction too also but i also think i'm interested in the way in which we write and we talk about each other's work yeah. and i'm i'm interested in in like i mean we, we got a documentary too so i'm interested in that but but i'm also interested in how we support each other and like titus with next haven me with freedom reads i actually think you, the, the Langston hughes example is good because these artists from from like the Harlem Renaissance and, and the black arts movement, they had like long legacies and histories and they were constantly working together and collaborating. Yeah. I, I think whatever we do, the biggest thing is to remember is that it is something that's sort of tragic that, that I didn't know who Sonia Sanchez was until I went to prison. Mm. I, I mean, it's something that's mm. sort of profoundly tragic um about that. And so I think that whatever work we do, the work is in service of, of trying to make sure. That, uh, that the people who should know our names and see our work, that they're able to, to know our names and see our work.
0: Mm. So when you're all together, are you always talking art and creativity? <laughs> <Or> art. <laughs>
5: Is, no, this, we, we, is it always
0: this? I mean, we're
5: usually talking about our kids, to be honest. To be honest. Like, do you know what this boy just do? Can you believe what this boy just real? did? I cannot believe it. Yeah. Or these kids have no idea how good they have it. Like, th- yeah. those are usually like, our conversations. And we've both
4: been married, you know, for a long time. I think it's also like this commitment to family, yeah. you know, that comes up. I think um, we talk about what it means to, to be partners um, with women who, who are brilliant. Who are, who are thoughtful who are like carving their own path in the world
1: mm-hmm.
4: uh, we talk about what it means to make serious decisions um, with institutions about you know that'd be great but I can't make it <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean like yeah. like what does it mean to say like what does it mean to say no to the world because you have to be present for your
5: family say no to the world because you have to say yes to your family yeah yeah so mm-hmm. so that's um so I think we that's
0: talk about powerful. all of the that's pretty powerful that's pretty damn yeah, powerful so so when you look out at the at the artistic landscape, um are you pleased are you feeling like uh there's some promise and some hope for for artists and particularly artists of color
5: i mean i'm very pleased because when i look out i see next haven so i mean i see uh cornelia and kiara and ashante and edgar and Captain and Donald and Anandita and Athena. So like, I'm very <laughs> pleased. Like yes. our folks are there and they are killing it right now. And we have open studios coming up uh, yes. in New Haven. So if you wanna come check us out, you should definitely come to, uh, come to Next Haven uh, to see what we're doing at open studios. And you will be pleased at what you see too. Check out our website for dates and times. I love
4: it. And
0: so, so the way you got Uh, free, that's that's
5: nxthvn.com. Thank you. (laughs)
4: Um, um, And I I think for me, you know, it's a lot of, I mean, I I live in a company of a a lot of brilliant writers, uh, from, you know, Randall Horton, uh, you know, a a lot of folks, Cornelius Edie, uh, Jericho Brown, Far Weaver, uh, Willie Perdomo, Avan Jordan, Tahimba Jess. Literally, you know, for Freedom Reads, we got a list of writers, and I know like seven. Um, I know like literally like seven people who won Pulitzer prizes that are black folks. Mm. You know, Mitchell Jackson just recently won a Pulitzer prize for a piece he wrote about Omar, um Aubrey for for Runner's Magazine. You know, what does it mean to be in mm. a space where, where not only are you like publishing in Runner's Magazine a, as a black dude, but but you're winning a Pulitzer prize for writing about Amar Aubrey? and run his magazine. I mean, and so um, so I, I think that in, in the United States, again, that we're in a very Robert moment with the arts. We've had these moments before though. So I don't wanna act like even us, um, we're, we're inventing the will. Mm-hmm. But what I do wanna say is that that the thing that we're doing now that I think that we've always tried to do is make sure that there's more of us who have traction um, in the public space. Make sure that it's more of us who are part of the public conversation. The reason why I think that this is dope and I think that that Good Morning America moment is dope because you don't see poets on Good Morning America. This is just, you don't see artists on Good Morning America. And you don't see people like us talking about a collaboration for a hundred dollar book on Good Morning America. You know, it's just like, it's not the thing that usually happens. And I should say Babs as somebody who's like a, like an icon within this community. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, I don't think you would have had this show. You know, So I think that like you've done some amazing things to create opportunities for yourself and other folks. Because I don't even know if the producers, had you not been there, would have been like, we need to have Titus on. But I'm certain that <laughs> you've been there and you make them understand who we are. They're like, oh, we definitely should have had them on. Why, why haven't we had them on already? But you're like, yeah, why haven't you? <laughs>
0: No offense to the producers, man. They're about to shut
5: us off right now. It's, it's about to stop right now.
0: Flat line. Uh, I know they listening. They're listening. But it's all, good. it's all good. It's all good. Listen, I have enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to the uh, to, to the chat that we are trying to have with y'all at our Possible Futures Bookstore so that people can get a more up close and personal sort of conversation with y'all. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But I, I love this book. I find it. Uh, it is a beautiful marriage of uh, art and poetry, art and intellect, art and uh, grit, and art and the realness of our communities. And And, and it feels like a real tribute to Black men. Um, so I love it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. I'll see y'all. I'll see Thank y'all it. soon. Joanne, you, soon. Actually, Dewayne, you have to come back on and talk about uh, Freedom Reads because I'm yeah, so yeah. excited about that. So. yeah, we gotta do it. We gotta bring hey,
4: we 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 remodeling the space now, so we gotta bring you out to the space. We're gonna have a huge community event. I'm trying to get some of these next Haven artists to come in and, 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 and decorate our walls, you know what I mean? So, so we're gonna keep the co- collaboration going. There you go.
0: I love that. That's wonderful. Thank y'all so much for your time. And I'll All see right, y'all right. out here in these art streets soon. All right, cool.
3: <laughs> Take care.
0: Take good care. All right, Harry Droz, producer, thank you so much. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Harry, and thank you, Paul. I'll see you all next week. and
6: Y'all all take right. good care. Enjoy your weekend. <laughs> you're going
4: to close it off.
0: Hi, this is Babs Rawls Ivy from Woltavie, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP. 103.5 FM, streaming live at MediaMonkeyPink.org.